Let's take a moment, as we typically do, and gather ourselves and our senses, a moment of silence to prepare to hear from God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, as we uh, open up your scriptures, we are reminded once again that one of the ways that you are with us is through your word. And when your spirit comes and attends the reading and preaching of your word, stuff happens in the hearts of people. We're we're encouraged, we're enlightened, we can be filled with hope, we can be stricken in the heart, uh, we can feel defended, we can feel seen, hearts can be stirred uh, to worship. It's also true that nothing can happen. The seed can hit hard ground and be lost in any number of different ways. Worldly cares, our own sorrows. Would the soil of our heart be ready to receive your word this morning? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Before uh, I read our actual scripture text... There is a verse uh, from another Advent story when the angel visits Mary. I just want to read it to you, and I want it to kind of be stirring in your mind and heart throughout the message. Something that the angel says to Mary, it's verse 37 of Luke 1, and the angel just says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. With God. What have you stopped believing is possible with God? There's a guy in the story that we're going to read that I really identify with. He's a lot like me. He believes that God's out there, and he believes that that God is a God worth serving, listening to. He believes that God is going to act. In the world eventually. What he has trouble believing is that God cares about him, his pain, his life, his story. He has long lost the belief that God is actually interested in acting on his behalf, answering his prayers, healing his sorrows. This is a story about how God shows up for him. And it's written to all those folks who are like him, feel forgotten by God. His name is Zechariah. And do you know what his name means? God remembers. So I'm going to read this text, but every time it says Zechariah, I'm going to say God remembers. Luke chapter 1, 
verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named God Remembers of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And God remembers was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, God remembers, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And God remembers, said to the angel, shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for God remembers. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he was making signs to him and remained, or signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we learn from the beginning of our text is that Zechariah is a man who is blameless and righteous. Now, blameless in the scriptures doesn't mean perfect. But it does mean faithful, and it does mean obedient. But Zechariah, long time in his faithfulness, lacked blessedness. Blameless, but without blessing. 
He and his wife had long desired children, but they weren't able to have them. Here's a couple, long married, dealing with the pain and ache that comes with infertility, the pain of coming home to an empty house every day, year after year. This was Zechariah's experience. In his day, this would have come with not only personal feelings of sadness and loss, but disgrace and ridicule from his community as well. Certainly, that would have been the case for his wife, Elizabeth. And yet, the old couple continues to serve God. Their disappointment did not deter their faithfulness. Though God seemingly had forgotten them and not answered their prayers, they still served Him, loved Him, were obedient to Him. So here is a blameless couple that lacks blessedness, but continues to serve the Lord. Let's just pause and linger there for a moment. There's a lot of miraculous and wonderful things that you come across in the Advent stories. Angelic appearances. Prophetic predictions. Miraculous births. But notice this first miracle. None of those others is perhaps as noble and as beautiful as the faith of this old couple devoted to God after many years of experiencing disappointment. What a wonder. Serve God even when it hurts. I love it that their story is the story that God chooses to highlight first in Luke's gospel at Christmas. That when God finally comes to visit his people, this is where the visitation begins. And I love it for all of those who identify with Zechariah and Elizabeth. All of you who have continued to serve Love God. Appointment and loss. Because here's the Lord at the beginning of the gospel narrative lifting you up, lifting up the meek, the mourning, the, the Zechariahs and Elizabeths, and saying, This is where true greatness is. He's throwing a spotlight on all the folks who resonate with Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. Those who have remained devoted to God over many years of receiving disappointment. God wants to celebrate your faith today. Yours is the kind of story that He weaves into His own story. He sees your life and your sacrifice and obedience as noble Beautiful, worthy of mention and praise. And so, for many of us, this is a call to encouragement. To keep on keeping on faithful devotion. 
God sees you. But this isn't primarily a story about how God sees. It's a story about how God remembers. So it goes on. Verses 8 and 9. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zechariah was a priest. And this job of burning the incense wasn't something that he would have done on a daily basis. In fact, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. There was 10,000 priests in Israel. There would have possibly been an opportunity that Zechariah would never have gotten to do this. But he was chosen by lot. So he finds himself in the holy place of the temple alone. The multitude of Israel is gathered outside as they do every morning and evening. And while they pray to the Lord inside of the holy place, the priest is lighting the incense which smoke represents their prayers rising up to God every morning and every evening. Zechariah would come out and issue a blessing on the people. Zechariah's old. He's never done this before. And this is his moment. So I imagine him nervous, hands shaking as he goes to light the incense. And it is just at that moment God chooses. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Zechariah was scurred, and it's hard to be mad at the man. I mean, to see an angel. The drama of it gets lost on us because, I don't know, we only come to church on Christmas and Easter and so we only hear stories about angels. But in actuality, angels in the Bible are pretty rare. In fact, it's been 600 years since the last angel appeared in the pages of Scripture. It's been a long time since God has sent one of his messengers of hope. Certainly, the people would have thought that God had long since forgotten them. This would have been Zechariah's heart too. So it's hard to get mad at the guy. On the other hand, if God were to show up, wouldn't it be now? Wouldn't it be just at this time and this place? I mean, think about where the dude is. He's in the most holy place. Offering the prayers of of the people to the Lord, and yet he is shocked to hear something back from God. He was offering prayers, but he wasn't expecting God to answer. But listen to the angel. Don't be afraid. The Lord has heard prayer. Here's the sweet thing to ponder. What prayer 
is the angel talking about? And you get to verse 13 and 14 of the text and it makes clear that it's his and Elizabeth's prayer for a child. You're going to have a child, he says, and it's going to be named John. John, which means God has been gracious. God has been gracious to answer your prayer. So here's what I want us to think about. When do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed the prayer that God mentions? Certainly it wasn't recently. They're very old at this point. I would imagine that those prayers had begun soon after they were married. And they would have grown more anguished the longer and longer that it took for God to answer it. But at a certain age, they would have been, they have, would have persuaded themselves that it's just not in the cards for them. They would have now believed that it's impossible. All that to say, this was an old prayer. God shows up and answers an old prayer. You remember what Zechariah's name means? God remembers. But the angel goes on. Says, I'm not just answering an old prayer. I'm fulfilling ancient promises. That what's happening here with the angel and his declaration, it's not just for the joy of Elizabeth and Zechariah, it was for the joy of the whole nation. And so in verse 14, it says, many will rejoice. And the reason why many will rejoice is this child that will come from Zechariah and Elizabeth will be John the Baptist, the one predicted in Malachi chapter 3 and 4. One who would come in the spirit of Elijah and turn the nation back to faithfulness and obedience. The one who would prepare the nation to receive God himself. He would come. Here's the thing. That promise in Malachi was at least 400 years old at this point. 400 years is a long time. 400 years that God's people had been waiting for liberation and renewal. 400 years of waiting. And they, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, I imagine, would have begun to just be persuaded that God is no longer going to fulfill his promise. And then, in one fail swoop, God answers the the hopes and old prayers of this waiting couple, even as he answers the hope and ancient promises that the nation of Israel was waiting to have fulfilled. Zechariah means God remembers. And that, of course, is the point. That God can invade our lives and our world After long years of silence. That's what's happening in this story. It's what God's doing in the life of Zechariah. And it's what he's doing on a much larger scale with the nation of Israel. He's answering ancient promises. He's kept track 
of these old prayers. Ever wonder what happens to your prayers? All the prayers that you've prayed. What happens with the the millions of times, year after year, month after month, week after week, that the people of God cry, Help! Come, Lord Jesus. Fill the earth with your glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What happens to those prayers? They just float up into the ether? Are they all banging off the ceiling? Falling back down? Do you know where they go according to this text? They go into the altar of God. An altar of God before his throne, a fire that is blazing with the prayers of God's people, each kept and heard. There it grows hotter and hotter and more beautiful before the face of God, who is singularly attentive to them. God hears. God is saying here, I'm at work. None of your prayers have been lost. They are remembered. They are collected. They are held until the proper time when God can interrupt our lives after long years of silence with answer and redemption. It's the ironic blessing for us around Christmas time. God keeps his promise. It just might take him 400 years to do so. But he remembers. God takes the prayers of his people very seriously. He takes his word very seriously. Nothing can stop his promises from reaching their fulfillment. Not even your unbelief. Check out verses 18 through 22. Well, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So that's just interesting in and of itself. What is Zechariah thinking when God puts on this show? He's thinking, it can't be. Give me a sign. Fact is, I'm too old for dreaming. Too old for raising kids. And if I, and even if I was into it, I'm, I'm married to a woman who's too old to bear them. Can't be. Prove it. I appreciate it, but I'm too old to believe that God could do possible. Here's Zechariah, still a devoted man, still going through all of the religious motions, but not really expecting God to move. And man... I bet we can commiserate with that, can't we? When our prayers for good things continue to go unanswered, when we encounter seemingly unexplainable circumstances and suffering, when we find ourselves for years questioning God's wisdom, when it's really hard to see how God is going to use something for our good and for our salvation. For some of us, it's really easy to to identify with Zechariah in his unbelief, at least in his demand for proof. 
It is hard after years of disappointment to open ourselves up to the vulnerability of hope. Because hope is a vulnerable thing. To open yourself up to disappointment, it's much safer to doubt, to criticize, to dismiss. To build up scar tissue in our life from many years of frustration. We don't want to expose ourselves anymore. Cynicism is a great way to protect ourselves from being let down. So Zechariah's response is, what you say is wonderful and all, but I'm too old for dreaming, too old for children, too hurt to hope, can't be, prove it. But notice, God still answers that not even cynicism, unbelief, and half-hearted devotion can keep God from coming through in our lives. Look at the rest of these verses. And the angel answered him, and I love this, I am Gabriel. It's kind of like, what else do you want, man? I'm Gabriel. It's the greatest answer, great one one line. He should have just dropped the mic there, but he keeps going. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place. Listen to this. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Friends, there's a new verse in my Bible. It's this one. It's always been there, but I've never seen it glow like this before. The angel says, you didn't believe, but it's still going to happen. You didn't trust, but it's still going to come true. Aren't you glad that God's answer and his coming isn't contingent on how good you believe? The angel says, I know you don't believe it. It's going to (laughs) happen. That encourages me because there are some weeks where I have some pretty good faith. And there's other weeks when I don't have any faith at all. Have you been there before? Certain weeks or seasons where you just feel the presence of God. You believe that he could do anything. Just other times when you just wonder if any of it's true at all. But God's coming isn't contingent on how well we wait. God wants to come to us in answered prayer not because you're good but because he is not because you're faithful but because he remembers not because we're righteous because God is righteous faithful steadfast in love and advent reminds us that God's love transcends even our deepest doubts You wouldn't believe it, but it's coming true. Not even our doubts can stop God's faithfulness. And so the angel says, I'm Gabriel, and that should be good enough. And God's word's going to come true. But if you want a sign, I'll give you a sign. And that sign is going to be 
that you're not going to be able to speak or hear for nine months. Now, at first we think, he, he kind of got the short end of the stick. It seems like an unusual sign, and it seems as much a rebuke as a reward. But what I want us to see is that this time in silence is really a part of Zechariah's healing. Because you know what Zechariah lost over those long years of disappointment? Wonder. Belief. The childlike wonder to dream. To hope to believe that God could and would pull it all off in the end. Redemption for all of us. And you know where wonder is typically cultivated? Silence. If we don't seek out silence, we often won't feel the stupendous significance of God's work in our lives. We often won't see the ways He is showing up for us because we're blinded by the ways He's not. I just find that there is a a close correlation between stillness and the stupendous. The most amazing things about reality probably will be missed by those who are constantly using the, the TV or their podcast as constant background drone. And so he says to Zechariah, be still, be dumb and deaf, and know that I am God. You're not going to talk to anyone. You're not going to hear anyone but me for nine months. You're going to have nine months to cultivate my faithfulness in your life. You can't work. You can't communicate. You just have to sit there month after month and watch your wife grow fat and happy. Somehow we expect the loud and impressive events to convince us of God's saving power and presence with us. But I am reminded all the time that it is when I find time for silence and reflection on the small ways, the building ways, that God is with me all the time. When we slow down to be silent, we see that God has shown up for me in 3,000 small ways every single day of my life. So now he has nine months to pay attention to it all. And we know that he did because when Zechariah comes out of it, he comes out filled with the Holy Spirit and singing what is known to the church as the Benedictus, a song filled with insight and a sense of stupendous significance of what, what is going to happen in the birth of Christ. So while we ponder how we might seek silence for ourselves in this season, we learn from what the Holy Spirit taught Zechariah. He gave Zechariah what he needed. He pursued Zechariah in silence and drew out wonder and belief 
Even the angel's rebuke was a reward designed to heal his heart and to draw him closer to Christ. It is hard to give ourselves to hope. It honestly feels safer to sit in darkness behind the walls of our cynicism, the hard walls of our unbelief. But hear this, brothers and sisters, even your unbelief cannot keep the Lord out of your life. And there are some surprising ways, I assume, that he is going to come through for his people. Because our God is a God that remembers. He remembers old prayers, and he remembers ancient promises. And from now on, in this story, until Christ's birth, angels don't just show up. Angels start crescendoing, first to Zechariah, then to Joseph, then to Mary, then a whole host of angels before the shepherds. It's like a divine alarm clock is going off, saying the time has come, the time is now, fulfillment has come, God is doing something new. Where are you being called to believe again? I asked my wife that question, and she thought about it enough. It wasn't a long time before she mentioned uh, someone in our life very close to us who we have stopped praying that they would come to the Lord. Just seems too far. Man, that was like a punch to the gut. I'm just like, that's it's probably impossible at this point. No. We're go- we started praying again. God comes. He comes to us. Even our doubts can't stop him. Let me pray now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love and your grace. Thank you so much that you're a God who remembers old prayers and ancient promises. And there are ways in which each one of us has built up kind of the scar tissue over our hurts and disappointments, our sorrows and pains, and yet you come to us today um, through the story of Zechariah and you speak to us, you whisper to us in silent moments, I remember I'm with you. I'm coming. I've heard, don't be afraid. I've heard your prayers. And you call us um, to, to a kind of blameless devotion to you as we continue to wait. But now with this story on our hearts and the reality uh, that we see in Christ that you do Uh, remember ancient promises and so as we wait for you to come again both in our lives individually and come again into this world to to pull off a great redemption and salvation would we be able to wait uh, with a stronger hope a hope now kindled uh, because of Zechariah's story we give you praise and thanks in Christ's name amen amen